Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Maybe seated. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Tamara, Dr. Riegert, and everybody. And thank you for coming today. I know that uh, a lot of you, like us, are not through celebrating the holidays. We will actually head to see more family today and continue celebrating in one way or another throughout the week. So thank you for making this a part of your celebration uh, today and this year in this season. We are in the middle. We have two more se- uh, sermons in this series. Home is closer than you think. But I, because some of us haven't been here every week, how about if I just sort of recap a little bit what we mean when we use the word home? During Advent, we wait with great anticipation for Christ to come again, to make good on the promise that we hear throughout Scripture, that God will come and finish what God started and make God's forever home here with us. Revelation 21 is the clearest articulation of this. See the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. And all God's people said. And we believe that God has already begun that process of building a home here with us. Now, throughout the Old Testament, God is always in the process of arriving, if you think about it, bringing bits and pieces of heaven to earth. The temple itself was understood to be a place of overlap, perhaps even a passage through which God would have access to his people and God's, and God's people would have access to God, a doorway, if you will, between heaven and earth, heaven where God is, earth where we are. But the foundational piece for the home God is building among us comes not in the majesty of this giant temple, as big and as beautiful as it was at one time, but in the littleness. Now I'm borrowing from the Pope, actually, who at the midnight mass talked about the Savior who comes in all of his littleness, but in the littleness of a baby in Jesus. But in that little baby, the cornerstone for this home has been set. The home building has begun in earnest, and it will never stop, hasn't stopped yet. Yes, during Advent, we ache out loud for the home to be finished. During the season of Christmas, we celebrate that in Christ, that process has begun beautifully, significantly, already, but not yet. We can already see the signs of the home that's being built, and what I'm trying to say throughout this sermon series is that home is closer than you think. Each week we've had a theme. Advent supplied the themes for us. I got to supply the themes for the two Sundays in the Christmas season, and we have two Sundays this year. This year, this week, it is celebration. Next week it is presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. Today we're talking about celebration because how can you have a holiday season without celebration? 
Right? I mean, that's what we think of when, when we think of the holiday season. And sometimes it's even uh, the, the reason we have some anxiety, right? Let's say that you are the host and the hostess for the big party or the big several parties that are going to happen at your house. There's the cooking, there's the cleaning, there's the organizing, there's the inviting. And what if these two people come at the same time? It could be chaos and all of that. So sometimes the parties themselves are a little bit of a source of anxiety. And if you have been watching like I have, it seems like this year, because of COVID, some people have celebrated on their own. They've been alone. So I recognize that as I use the term celebration, and as I mention the celebrations that we are going to be a part of, that you have been a part of, not everybody has the same experience when we talk about and use the term holiday celebrations. But I would say to you that celebrations are not only key and crucial to our understanding of what it is that God has done in Christ at Christmas, Celebrations are a big part of who we are as Christians, everybody. Yeah, we're supposed to be celebrating people. During certain seasons of the year, every Sunday is supposed to feel like a celebration. We're headed toward one of those seasons. Actually, we're in one right now in the Christmas season. Epiphany is also a long season of celebration, as is the season of Easter. Every, every season, every Sunday in those seasons is supposed to feel like a celebration. And even on those seasons that aren't necessarily celebratory like Lent, and even Advent, within each service is still a moment of celebration. A moment of celebration. And we'll talk about that more later because it's crucial that we Christians celebrate well. Because Scripture also tells us that we believers, people who follow God, also have the capacity to celebrate in unhealthy ways. And let me just sort of let the cat out of the bag here right quick. Sometimes Christians have a way of prioritizing the celebration over the one being celebrated. All right, think with me. Sometimes we Christians, you can see it throughout Scripture, on the one hand, this Jesus keeps on saying to us, yep, we are a celebrating people. And the kingdom of heaven is like somebody who threw a party. Remember all those parables? It's like someone who threw a party. But almost in the next line, it said, yeah, and people didn't get it. The people who should have gotten it, who received the invitations, didn't get it. So yes, we are a celebrating people, and ours is a celebrating tradition. But we still have to be careful that we celebrate well. Here's the good news. When we celebrate well, this home is closer than you think. When we don't celebrate well, or when we don't celebrate, then it becomes harder and harder to see the home that God is building around us. Okay, so uh, the Jewish tradition has a season of celebration. That season of celebration is known as this Passover season, and perhaps no other Jewish holiday gets celebrated as hard or as much as this Passover season. So, and I need to give you a little bit of a heads up here. There is in this rendition of the Passover celebration that the, the first family, let's call it, is going to take part in, there is something of a kind of a, a well, I don't know, a home alone moment coming up. Now, this is about to make you feel old. Anybody remember this movie? Okay. Anybody want to hazard a guess? Don't say it out loud. When this movie came out, no, oh, 1990, y'all. You know what else happened in 1990? 
I came to be the part-time youth pastor at Oklahoma City, <laughs> Oklahoma City First Church during the Eisenhower administration. It's incredible. <laughs> so I came in August. Home Alone comes out for the holiday season in November, December. And, and if you, for some reason, aren't familiar with it, here is the gist. Here is the gist of the Home Alone franchise, which, by the way, happens a lot. In fact, there is a 2021 version out on Netflix right now. That, if you want to check it out, is not very highly rated. Anyhow, here's what happens. Kid is mistakenly left at home. And as he is by himself, and at this point, we, we understand this character to be eight years old. Kevin, to be eight years old. While at home, alone, during the holiday, he comes to find out that these two shady characters on either side of the tree there are trying to break into the house, and now this little eight-year-old is left to defend the entire house on his own. I don't know if Luke chapter 2 is the basis of this story, but it kind of works to have one play off the other. Because here's what's about to happen. You're going to have another home alone situation, right? And Jesus is going to say, no, this is, this, is, this is my home. And we're going to see not just in this passage, but in all of the passages to come, especially here in the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus does all he can to protect this home. I mean, it starts innocently enough. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for this festival. Let, let's talk a minute about what they're celebrating. When we say Passover, what do we mean? It celebrates that moment, and I would call it a gospel moment. It celebrates that moment that God fights for God's people to liberate them from slavery, from Egyptian bondage, to release them in ways that would then allow them to be the people of God, the people to put skin and flesh on the very presence of God. This is an Exodus story. Remember all of this? You remember when a lamb was sacrificed and they would paint the doorways, the door frames with blood, and because those particular door frames were, were painted with blood, that particular household was protected when the angel of death would fly through. They celebrated hard this Passover story. They celebrated it hard. And you know what? And rightly so. Now, we have every reason to believe that Jesus belonged to a good Jewish family, an observant Jewish family. We have every reason to believe, there's all kinds of, of evidence even here in the book of Luke, that Jesus was raised to be a good, obedient, observant Jewish young man, circumcised on the eighth day, brought back to the temple. At 12 years old, probably had already had what would be called a bar mitzvah, at which point he was just old enough to then to receive the call to go every year, to make a pilgrimage every year to Jerusalem to celebrate a central core story that made the people of God the people of God, that helped them to remember each and every year, this is who we are and this is how we are who we are. So Jesus and the family are doing the right thing, the good and healthy thing. They're going to Jerusalem to remember and celebrate the rescue of God. Celebrating is important to faith. And something bad happens when we don't celebrate. When we don't, now just think about this, when we don't celebrate what we're supposed to celebrate, 
let's say, I don't know, birthdays or anniversaries, damage is done. Right? Have you ever forgotten someone's birthday that you weren't supposed to forget? Please don't raise your hand or point. But have you ever forgotten an anniversary? You are raised. Someone is pointing. (laughs) (laughs) Certain memories and moments are meant to be celebrated and remembered. And obviously there's a price to be paid when we forget to celebrate, when we forget to remember. It is very important that we as people of faith stay in close contact with our central stories, our identity-shaping stories. And so they go to Jerusalem. They went to Jerusalem every year to stay in close contact with this orienting, shaping story. And then everybody went home. Well, most of them went home. When the festival was over and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Now, did Jesus slip around and just sort of like escape? Or was it an honest mistake? Don't know, don't know that it matters. Jesus stayed home, Jesus stayed home in the temple while they left. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey, then they started to look for him. Among their relatives and friends, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. Do you think, and I've had some fun with this this week, do you think when Mary figured it out that he wasn't there, did she have like a Kevin moment? (laughs) You know what I mean? Jesus. (laughs) We do know that she was anxious about it. Look here. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said, probably having grabbed him by, I don't know, the ears maybe, and says, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, Your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. They were terrified. They were terrified. Jesus said to them, why? Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Now, what did Jesus know and when did he know it? Not sure. Did Jesus already know all the different ways in which he would be used to embody God? Did Jesus know at this point that it was no longer the temple that was the doorway, the passageway between heaven where God is and earth where we are? Did Jesus recognize that he was now the passageway? Did Jesus recognize that that he was now that place where heaven and earth overlaps, where God has access to people like us and where people like us have access to God? Don't know don't know. He seems to know something. There seems to be some sort of dawning awareness that he was where he was supposed to be. In fact, even referenced the temple as my father's house. This would not be the last time he would reference the temple as my father's house, right? I said this to you earlier about Kevin. Kevin did whatever it took to protect home to protect the home from these threats. Jesus 
Jesus, in the overturning of the temple, of the tables, and the and driving out of the of the animals. Remember that scene later on? We're gonna talk about that later on in the year. Jesus was doing this again. He was protecting his father's house. He even says it. Look what you've done to my father's house. Look what you've done to my father's house. The you there, well, those are actually believing people. Look what you've done, said Jesus. Here, he says, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in my father's house. And, and we find Jesus sitting and having these deep conversations, I'm sure rich conversations with people, exploring the grandeur, not just of the temple, but of the story. Perhaps it's in these kinds of conversations that Jesus was getting this dawning awareness of who he was and who he's supposed to be and what it was supposed to look like to be the person of God, to be the people of God. Jesus would come back every year. He's 12 years old. Jesus doesn't begin his public ministry until somewhere around 30 years of age. So I think we can rightly assume that he would come back year after year after year after year for this orienting story, the story that hopes to orient the people of God to be the people of God, to resource the people of God, to be the people of God. I wonder if somewhere in there, Jesus started to see a gap Roads diverge as more and more often the people of God who should have known better decided, ah, we like this way of being the people of God. Whereas God embodied in Christ would say, yeah, but there's a better way to be the person or the people of God. And because as it happens, right? I mean, doesn't that happen sometimes? I mean, haven't we as the people of God shown the tendency to forget what it means the people of God and to prefer what we want it to mean over what God wants it to mean. Here's how we say it all the time. Are we allowing God to remake us in God's image? Or do we, like so many others, have the awful tendency to try to remake God in our own image? Even and all the way down to some of our traditions. I wonder if by the time he was, I don't know, 28, 29, 30, if Jesus had deep in his gut, yes, this dawning awareness of who he is and what that's going to mean, but also how far the people of God had wandered from God's dreams for them. Do you think he knew by the time he was going back to Passover, 28, 29, 30 with his family, do you think he realized that that gap was now not just a gap, but a dangerous and perhaps even a deadly gap. A gap between who Jesus knew. The gap between what Jesus knew to be the truth of God and what it meant to be the people of God and how he saw it lived out. Can I upset all of us just for this long? I mentioned it some last week. I'll mention it again. I think we're in danger of doing real damage to the reputation of Christianity out there. I, I'm, I'm concerned with what gets called Christianity. I'm concerned about what we tend to want to fight about. I'm concerned that we tend to fight. And I'm concerned that over a period of time, the real price tag will be paid not by the oldest people in the room, but by the youngest. I'm concerned 
that people are walking away, and, and the statistics bear this out, even as recently as 10 days ago, statistics bear this out, and I, I mentioned it last week, so sorry to bang this drum again, our younger people are wandering away, <laughs> but I am not convinced they're wandering, wandering away from classic faith. I think they're wandering away from what's being called the church and faith that might not be. In other words, maybe it's happening again. Because I, I would imagine that as Jesus was 27, 28, 29, 30, still going back to Passover, I would imagine that sometimes those, those treks home, I, I bet he had this gut punch because he was smart enough and aware enough to recognize, man, we are wandering off track. Have you ever wondered if we're wandering off track? Now, that doesn't mean that these people at these Passover celebrations weren't super interested in maintaining their traditions, right? And traditions are good. Traditions are important. They really are. You already heard me say it. I think there's something about institutional memory that's really good. Traditions are good and they're important until we value our celebrations more than the one we're celebrating. There's a cliche that I've never really liked. And see if you, you may have, I'm sorry if you have this needle pointed somewhere on one of your decorations, I really am. But I've never really been a huge fan of Jesus is the reason for the season. But man, it's true. Man, it's true. By the way, Jesus is the reason for every season. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to have that needle-pointed pillow out, we probably ought to just leave it out. Because there's not a season on the Christian calendar where that's not true. Jesus is the reason for every season. And we should pay particular attention when our traditions, when our baked-in strategies and opinions, we should pay particular attention anytime the churches, local, denominational, worldwide, anytime the church's opinions and traditions and trajectory looks anything like someone or something other than Jesus, then we're wrong. Jesus is not wrong. Wow, I, I think when you say Jesus is not wrong that you expect to get more of an amen than I got. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to look at my own heart. I want to look at my own household. And I want to look at the traditions that I want to embody and I want us to embody. And I want to see, I want to discern if there's a gap between my commitment to the traditions and the person of Christ. I want to look at us as a church. I want to look at us as a denomination and ask this very hard question. Are we traditioning in a way that embodies Jesus or not? And if we're not, we gotta get rid of something. Because, you all, Jesus really is the reason for all the seasons. Celebrating poorly might actually be worse than not celebrating at all. Might this be why the religious leadership in Jesus' day worked so hard to silence him? Did he represent a threat 
to their theology, to the traditions that they'd worked so hard to maintain. And yes, we have seen some of that kind of happen here as well. And, and lots of times it's been connected to the table. A couple decades ago, Dr. Green used this very strange word. Jason, you'll remember this story. The word was Eucharist. And somebody in our church got really upset that Dr. Green used the word Eucharist to label what we do here. You and I perhaps grew up with terms like communion, the Lord's table, the Last Supper. Dr. Green, rightly by the way, because it is within our tradition and in the language of our scriptures to use the term Eucharist for this moment, it means Thanksgiving by the way, someone was so upset about it that they called the authorities. Can you believe that they use this Catholic word? Well, first of all, Catholics are friends, amen? <laughs> Second, it's the right word. Then, then we got to a point several years back where we decided whatever we're doing here is important. It's so important that we need to do it more than once a quarter. So we went to once a month. And then we said, man, whatever we're doing here is so important that we need to do it more than once a month. And so we started doing it every week. And some people said, I think that's too much. I, I, I think it starts to lose its, its specialness. No, amen. And then, and then we move to another means called intinction. And maybe you're new to us today. If you are, welcome. So many welcomes. You'll see it later on today. Intinction means nothing more than just taking the bread and dipping it into the cup. And people are like, ooh, gross. <laughs> Thank you. But the one I remember, the, the, the complaint that I remember is this one. I try to say as a part of our tradition each week, I try to ask this question, who is welcome? Who is welcome around this table? And I say, look, if you understand your need for grace, it really doesn't matter what you did this morning. And you may have done some bad things this morning. I mean, it's hard to get kids to church, amen? <laughs> but it doesn't matter. If you recognize your need for grace, this is the right place for you. You don't have to be fixed. In fact, we would say that this place is salvific. And by that I mean this is one of the ways that God moves to mend and heal. You don't have to be healed to come. Healing is found here. Man, that did not set well with a few people. Do you realize that you had sinners come to that table? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's what I mean. Because welcoming everybody to the table, doesn't that kind of sound and smell and taste like Jesus? I mean, think about it, doesn't it? But have we maintained the human capacity to practice faith in ways that aren't necessarily representative of Jesus, but they are comfortable for us. I, I, I don't think there's any way to adequately describe Jesus without using the terminology of wild and somewhat dangerous. Not necessarily why you come to church, though, for something wild and somewhat dangerous but perhaps it should be. Now, not getting it 
is not a sin, not just yet. Think about it. His mother didn't always get it. (laughs) In chapter 4, after Jesus announces that he was the embodiment of Jubilee, the gospel itself, his own townspeople wanted to throw him off a cliff. (laughs) His disciples were prone to lose focus and miss the point on a regular basis. And finally, his own religious tradition, by the way, during Passover, chose their traditions over him. In fact, they chose a criminal over him. You get the sense reading through scripture that celebrations are in fact a major part of faith. At the same time, you get the impression that we have the capacity to miss that point, to miss the point of the party and project our own opinions and agendas on what should be an expression of God's heart and passion and plan. Friends, something bad happens when we try to be religious but forget to remember the center of faith, the reason for this and every other season. Something breaks when we celebrate religious ideas but not the character and nature of God we see in Christ. In 2022, here is my goal. It's it's more than a resolution. Here's my goal. That at a deeper level, I will be as your pastor and as a believer, more preoccupied with Jesus. Jesus must be our preoccupation. More than the celebrations we do in Jesus' name, Jesus must be our preoccupation. We must never get to the place where we prefer our celebrations over the one that we're celebrating. In writing to the church in Colossae, Paul, or someone writing in Paul's name, describes what it looks like when a people pursue Christ and not just traditions. Ready? Chapter 3, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds together everything in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your heart, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms to God. Now listen to this. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When we look and sound and feel like that, friends, home is closer than you think. Home is closer than you think when we celebrate who we're meant to celebrate. We bring heaven to earth, our eyes and ears are open and the very presence of God is within reach and often you can see it in the faces of those who serve. If you are helping us today, please go ahead and come on down. So here it is. If you're visiting with us, this is, this is when we gather around the Lord's table for a moment of communion, the Eucharist, the Last Supper. By the way, in the Last Supper, every week, we are referencing the Passover. And we are referencing the Passover that Jesus references 
in the Last Supper. You see, it's not that we have moved away from or beyond the Exodus gospel story, but in his own body, Christ has extended that same message and in some sense even redefined it. Now Christ is the body and the bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given. And we participate today, and we participate every week in the hopes that we can stay connected to this orienting story and in the hopes that someday I will, you will, we will eat so much bread and drink so much from this cup that we think now we're becoming the bread that is taken, blessed, broken, given. Have you eaten so much this holiday season or will you? I'm going to eat so much this holiday season that you're afraid you might turn into the thing that you're eating. That is the point to eat so much of this bread that at some point we take our rightful places as the people of God, the embodiment of the gospel, taken, blessed, broken, and given. So here's what's gonna happen. If you are willing, by the way, you're all welcome, we've talked about that, but you don't have to participate. Maybe you have good reasons to not participate and so we want to celebrate your, your absolute freedom to choose. But if you would like to, you can come down front when the ushers dismiss you, and you'll come up with your hands cupped, I hope, and you will receive a piece of bread into your hands. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup, and then go and find a place to pray, whether that be here at one of these altars or back at your pew. Now, if you would like, you can just take one of these. We have people throughout also. Kelly has some, Doug has some, Taylor. Okay, everybody's got, we have some in every aisle. Cheryl's got some over there. If you would rather take one of these prepackaged communion things, that is perfectly fine. Just go ahead and take and eat and drink as soon as you get it, and then enter into that time of prayer. And remember, you are not shaping God by your participation today. God's mind about you is made up, say it with me, and the news is that good God is shaping you. Shaping you to be the body, the bread, taken, blessed, broken, given. So God, bless these elements, and with them, God, may we celebrate well. May we celebrate toward the realization, at least in this moment, of home, where you come to make your home with us. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way he took the cup, he held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. And now it's time. So ushers, if you would, dismiss folks by rows to come down and receive this life-shaping bread and cup.
Sometime you really ought to come up here and just see what I see up here. You're always welcome. If you just want to come and just stand up here on the platform with me and just look, it's a beautiful thing. And we, because of the pandemic, we're not able to do this for a long time, and it is costly. It's costly to not be able to celebrate that which you need to celebrate on a regular basis. And perhaps you, like so many, have fallen into a place where you need to confess to get out of this or that rut, to return to a life of celebration of what it is that God continues to do in Christ and in the body of Christ. And so I'm gonna get out of the way now and let you pray your prayer of confession. Are you one of those people who prefers the tradition of celebration over the one being celebrated? It's okay. Just confess right now and pray that prayer. prayers of confession before I turn it over to Jason for intercession. Hear this. May the Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit keep us in eternal life. Let's continue in prayer this morning with these prayers of intercession. Would you pray along with me? Jesus, we are grateful for your presence among us. And God, we ask in your name that you would take care of a few of our folks who mean so much to us. And church, as I pray for these names, as God fills your heart with those who needs God's healing touch, you can pray with me and along with me. And so God, we ask that you would come alongside of Karen Martin, who after a fall this week, broke both of her wrists and part of her foot and had had to have a couple of surgeries. God, thank you for Karen and her compassion and love. And God, we ask that you would surround her in her health and her healing. And also John, as he loves and cares for his wife. God, we, I'm sure they're watching now. And this has not been the Christmas that they probably anticipated. But God, may your loving presence be at their side. And would you be in the healing of Karen in the days to come? God, we ask that you would come alongside of Adrian Houck as she recovers from her surgery this week. And God, we ask that you would come alongside of our friend Jake Elder, here playing drums this morning, but we'll have surgery later this week. Would you take care of Jake and his family? God, we ask that you would come alongside of Trudy Caprero, who's here this morning, but whose heart's in AFib. And God, would you be with her as she experienced the loss of her brother just a couple of days ago? God, we ask that you would continue to take care of Derek Doris, who's able to join us again this morning. And God, would you be with him in his heart? And God, just we're so grateful for his life and ask that you would continue to take care of Derek and his family in the days to come. God, would you please come alongside continually Tate Lamb after he has his surgery this last couple weeks ago? And that God, you'd be with him day by day in his healing. And God, that you would travel with McKinley Green 
each and every day and give her peace and healing in her life. Each and every week we pray for Glenn and Betty Fain and they're here this morning. And so God, as I get to see them as I pray, would you provide healing, hope, presence and strength to Glenn and Betty Fain today and the days to come. God, we ask that you would be with those who need, God, your healing from cancer. And God, we ask that you would come alongside of Bonnie Goodwin and Scott Peterson, that you'd be with Dennis Bratcher and Angela Adams, and that your healing and presence would be with Carolyn Fielding and Margaret Farmer. Lord, we ask for all of those who have struggled with and are currently struggling with COVID. God, we ask that you'd be with those who are lonely, incarcerated. God, we ask for those of who this Christmas was a hard Christmas. I talked to a man this morning who Christmas yesterday was just Netflix and no family or presence. And so God, for all who Christmas is not maybe perhaps the way that they envisioned it, God, we ask for your loving presence and healing heart for those who need you the most. And so God, would you be with all of us? And God, would you continue to transform us to look a little bit more like your son Jesus, always searching after you? And God, would you do that tonight, today and now as we pray the Lord's Prayer? Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.